Hey everybody, it's David Burkus. I am so excited. My new book, Under New Management, launches in just a few short months. If you want to get a special preview of the book and find out more about it, I've put together some awesome previews and pre-order bonuses for first movers. To get on that list, text first mover to 33444. That's first mover, all one word, to 33444, or go to com first mover. Now, on to this episode of the Leader Lab Podcast. This is Mike Figliello, and you're listening to Leader Lab. So who are you and what do you do? I'm Mike Figliello. I'm the Managing Director at Thought Leaders, LLC. We're a leadership development and training firm working mostly with large corporates on the skills that everybody needs that nobody ever teaches you. Stuff like leadership, decision-making, problem-solving, etc., so, and the, the, the first book, we actually, you're a return guest to uh, Leader Lab, which is awesome. Uh, welcome back. The first book, One Piece of Paper, was, was awesome. The new book is equally great. It's, it's got a little bit of a counterintuitive title, but I love counterintuitive. So, Lead Inside the Box, How Smart Leaders Guide Their Teams to Exceptional Results. I thought we were supposed to lead, think outside of the box, and everything was about n- not having the box. What's the deal? Yeah, so I hate the phrase, uh, think outside the box. You and me both. my co-author, and and we're ex-consultants, and we're both a little bit snarky, so we figured we would stick our thumb in the eye of that phrase and get you to at least pause for a second, and and you had the exact reaction we want, which is, wait, I thought I was supposed to be outside the box, now you're saying to be inside the box. What's this thing all about? And that catchy title just gets you to pause for a second, and given the main framework is a box, it's a matrix, uh, it seemed pretty fitting to use it as well as a little bit tongue in cheek. <laughs> yeah, totally. And um, we'll we'll talk about the box and how it's really it's it's sort of um, even though there is a box, it's a very sort of matrix concept, right? There is no box in the sense that it's fluid. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But first, let's let's talk about this matrix because I think what what I read when I read it was uh, really, really intriguing to me because normally when you have sort of boxes or matrices, et cetera, they deal with things that are are usually always fixed, A, um, or pretending to be fixed, and B, they deal with stuff that is always just about the employee. And what you've got is a really interesting, uh, at the core of this new book is an interesting two-by-two matrix that deals with the relationship between the employee and leadership, et cetera. Um, can you, let's, just, let's talk broadly about how you sort of came to this uh, these boxes, how you came to the matrix, and then we'll dig into each sort of individual area. Yeah. So when you look at assessing associate behavior, so many times we fall into the trap of, hey, let's just look at Joe and what Joe's doing and Joe's skill and his will. But the thing is, there are outside variables that are going to impact Joe's performance. Like Joe might do great with an awesome manager, and Joe might be a total slacker with a terrible manager. So when we looked at that, we said, you can't just look at the individual associate. You have to look at the leader's behavior as well as the associate's behavior. And it's a combination of those behaviors that's going to land people in a behavioral category, right? And, and it's always about current behavior because it is fluid and, and those dynamics can change. So that was sort of the major insight that came out of uh, our conversations about a different way to look at managing performance. So, and is what we what we end up having is this cool matrix that to me. So, the the geek in me, the the grad student in me, uh, from years and years ago, is reading the whole book and and sort of seeing this cool combination of 
sort of situational leadership, which you offline beforehand talked about sort of as the uh, the skill and will idea, right? Are you willing? Are you able? Et cetera. But then there's also this really cool leader member relations or leader member exchange thing that's going on um, also in the matrix, which you get in, in essence when you, you look at this matrix because you get kind of four type of types of employees that depend on employee results and then leadership capital invested. I, we have the high cost producers, the exemplars, the detractors and the passengers. Let me ask you. Because I, I would I would love to start in a perfect world where everybody's an exemplar, but maybe we should start at the detractors and let's get that out of the way first and figure out how we're supposed to respond to that, and then we'll move through them. Does that work? Yeah, sure. So, you know, the, you mentioned it. The one axis that we're looking at is leadership capital, and that's how much time, energy, effort are you putting in as a leader into leading this individual. And then the other axis is the results you get out of them. So it's an input-output. I mean, you can even think of it in, in investing terms, in terms of the ROI, on your investment. And when you have a situation where you're putting in a lot of leadership capital and you're getting very few results, you end up with a detractor. So this is the person you're spending tons of time trying to coach them and lead them and motivate them and you're just banging your head off the desk because nothing is working. So what we get to in terms of leading these people is either finding that motivation because Sometimes you have a slacker, and, and they've got the capabilities. They just don't want to work, and, and there's something motivational missing there. So it's, a lot of leaders may miss that point, and it's really about unlocking that person's motivation. Or you have a square peg type of behavior, which is the person is working really hard, and you're working just as hard because you're correcting their mistakes, and you're fixing their work, and you're trying to coach them and train them, and they just don't have the skills for being in that role. So you may have a situation where, you dramatically change their job description and their responsibilities because they're just not getting it in the role you got them in, and that may unlock their performance and, and get them to perform better. So let me let me ask you this, because um, I, I think you know that that sounds good, et cetera. But some so often when I deal with people who are um, unskilled and just sort of can't get it, it, it can sometimes masquerade as motivation and, and vice versa. Sometimes when people are unmotivated, it can, you can seem for a little, like they're, they're unmotivated to put the time in, but they're very motivated to look like they're working. Does that make sense? So, so how do you yeah. sort of tease out what, which one is which, which type of detractor is which and what to do with them? Yeah, so it really boils down to just watching task performance. So, you know, I'll use when my, ki my kids, I know, are perfectly capable of loading the dishwasher, right? And um, they just don't want to. So that's kind of the slacker behavior. But the way it masquerades is as a square peg where they go, I don't know how to load it. And they load it poorly and things are upside down and all cluttered together. And, and it can masquerade as that training issue. So it really requires you as the leader to step back and say, okay, what's the task? What's their performance been in the past, not just in this role, but in prior roles before they join my team perhaps? And if you're seeing, gee, I've given them something that they've never done before. So I'm asking you know, Dave to do financial analysis, and the guy has never opened Excel before in his career. Um, you know, I've got more of a square peg situation because I'm not seeing any past behaviors that demonstrate he's had any exposure to this. Right? And then you can do the same with the slackers where if that person was high-performing previously and they've been in financial roles before and now they're kind of messing up their spreadsheets, it's like, yeah, I think this is really more of a motivation issue because based on your track record, it seems like you do have these skills. Hmm. No, that makes that makes a lot of sense. And I, I love the analogy of the, of the uh, dishwasher. My kids are, are not at the point where they – 
uh, I think they're they're three and one, so they're not really at the point where they can capture it. But uh, I remember. <laughs> so you you say that, but we still read them. Um, Shel Silverstein from Shel Silverstein books. And there's actually a poem about that, about faking like it, and talking about how if you hate drying the dishes, just break one, and you'll never have to do it again. So good exactly. point. And it <laughs> so I, I threw a red sock in the la- in the white laundry one time, and that was a long time ago, and I didn't do a lot of laundry after that. Yeah. Right? See exactly. <laughs> All right. So let's move. Let's move elsewhere in the matrix to the passengers. Now these are the people that that you haven't put a lot of leadership capital time energy in or don't require a lot of it um, and the uh, employee results are low now, now what I think is interesting is it's at first glance it's really hard to separate out these from the detractors and how to sort of respond differently to them but what are the where do the differences lie and what does that mean for leaders yeah I think the the biggest difference and this is where we say you got to look at both the individual's performance but the leader's behavior as well this is one where um, one of the types of passengers is that person who's keeping their head down, and, and they're, uh, we call them stowaway behaviors, right, where they show up for work, they're really quiet, they don't make any noise, and they just want to keep getting a paycheck. They don't want to get the leader's attention, so they sort of stay out of sight. So you as a leader aren't really paying any attention. You're not investing any leadership capital in them, but you should be because you're not getting the results. The thing is they're not noisy enough to really get your attention. Um, versus the square peg who may be trying really hard and messing up very publicly, that'll get your attention, right? So the stowaways are just trying to come in, punch the clock, and get out of there without getting noticed. Um, The joyriders who are also in this category, you're not giving them a lot of attention because they look really busy, and it looks like they're getting a lot of things done. So you say, okay, everything's good with Joe over there, and it seems like he's going to a lot of meetings, and he's always on the run. I don't have to check in with him as much as I do with, some of the other people, but then at the end of the year, when you add it all, say, okay, where's, where's Joe's results? And it's like, he doesn't really have anything to show for it. And the reason is he's been off working on things that he wants to work on, not what you needed him to work on. Um, and, and we call those the joyrider behaviors. And the way you work with these folks is you got to up the supervision, right? You have to invest more leadership capital and that's going to be in terms of prioritizing for them, holding them accountable to getting their tasks done. And yes, you're making a larger investment in these people, but the hopes are that that investment will generate incremental returns in terms of results that they deliver for your team. Hmm. And and now moving up sort of the chain, we get into the um, the high cost producers, which are the people that, that are really are getting results, but they require a lot of leadership capital and can be, you know, in some cases can almost be um, uh, sort of more draining because there's an opportunity cost there. At least that's what I got out of it as I was reading through everything. Yeah. Yeah, so you got two types up there as well. Everything, in case you haven't figured it out, every single one of the boxes in the matrix has two archetypes that we look at. There are the steamroller behaviors, which is this person gets a lot done, but they step on a lot of toes in the process. And they, have, they may have the mindset of, well, hey, that's the cost of doing business. You know, they can't make an omelet without breaking some eggs. Those are the types of comments you may hear from them. Um, and, but the problem is, well, the challenge is they're delivering results, right? So you want to keep them on the team, but you've got to reduce the friction that they're causing because you're, as the leader, having to jump in all the time and smooth all those ruffled feathers. Um, so that's, that's an approach of really helping them understand the impacts of their behaviors, getting them to see beyond you know, the, the results, it's not just about getting the results, but it's also how you get the results that matters. And then the other type of high-cost producer is the squeaky wheel. And this person delivers a lot of results, but 
you know, for example, they're in your office all the time. And it's like, hey, Dave, I want to do this. What do you think? And it's like, okay, I'm going to tell you to do it. Okay, great. And then 10 minutes later, they're back. Hey, Dave, I'm thinking about doing this. It's like, oh, my gosh, just, like, go do your work. And, and they're pulling you into too many things. Um, and it may be a confidence issue. They may be newer in their role. Uh, or they may feel like you need to give them permission for a lot of things and they don't feel empowered. Again, the leader's behavior matters here. And what you really want to do there is wean them from um, your time and energy and effort and try and reduce the amount of leadership capital you're putting into them. Right? They're delivering good results. Just get them to need you a little bit less as a crutch for delivering them. Hmm. Hmm. No, I think that's quite... An, an interesting distinction and, and exactly right. Uh, I would now when I'm reading this, I'm I'm looking at the top level as sort of not the top level, but I just I just tip my hat. I'm looking at the last category, the exemplars, as sort of the goal of where to get everybody to, because these are the people that don't actually require a lot of time, but also do high output. They're sort of the opposite of the people you were just describing, who every couple of seconds are checking in and going, "Hey, what do you think about this?" They get the same result, but they don't require that constant checking in. Tell me about the exemplars. Yeah, those are, those are either your rising stars, and these are people who are on your team, and you're going to have them for a little while, but then they're on to bigger and better things. Uh, or they're your domain master types of behaviors, which is they're awesome at their job. You don't have to give them a ton of your time and energy. You still have to give them some. Um, but they're just going to turn out results, and they don't really want to move off the team. They're comfortable where they are. They don't want to get promoted. They, they enjoy the work they're currently doing. Um, your, your challenge there is keeping these people around and retaining them, not only on your team, but also within the broader organization, right? So if you've got a rising star and this person is constantly growing and delivering results, one of the worst things you can do as a leader is try and hoard that person and hold them on your team when you should actually be going out and finding them a new role, but within your company. Because if you don't find them that role, and you hoard them, all of a sudden they're going to become a slacker and go, I'm not motivated. I'm not getting anything challenging. I'm not going to, you know, push really hard. I don't have any growth opportunities here. And then the next thing that happens is they quit and they go work for a competitor, right? So as a leader, you got to recognize, I've got this talent. They're growing. I'm going to enjoy it as long as I've got them. And then I'm sending them on to the next role. Now, one, one interesting dynamic, back to the point of we're not putting people in boxes. We're looking at behaviors. A lot of times when you have that rising star and you move them to their next role, all of a sudden they become a square peg, right, or a squeaky wheel because they don't have the capabilities required in that next role, which they shouldn't, right? It's, it's a place where they're going to grow. So people will move throughout this matrix depending on the role they're in and the way the leader is interacting with them. So it, on that note, this is an interesting question. So people will move around, but what as a leader can I do to move people? I mean, obviously I don't necessarily want – detractors, and I, I don't even want some kinds of passengers and some kinds of high-cost producers. Ideally, I want to get everybody to that sort of end point. What can I, as a leader, do to help shape those behaviors and move them around uh, in the matrix? Yeah, now i got to offer the cheeky, buy the book, because all those answers are in there, right? <laughs> but that's, that's what we're talking about, is every single one of these behavioral archetypes, there are strategies and techniques that you can use. So, for example, um, if you do have that passenger who's a stowaway and they're just hiding and they're not giving results, but you know, you're not, they're not taking a lot of your leadership capital, you have to increase the amount of time you're spending with them. And very tactically, we're going to meet every single week. We're going to go over your prioritization list. I'm going to hold you accountable to deliverables every single week. And you're going to have to invest a lot more time in them um, to start moving them toward that higher performing box. If you've got a steamroller who's making people upset in steering committee meetings, 
you're going to have to continue to invest in them and sit in on those meetings and observe them and provide them feedback, maybe send them to some training courses or find them a mentor to try and improve their capabilities on the soft skills side such that you can then invest less in them going forward because you're not having to clean up their messes. So every single one of these archetypes we've gone through and really thought about how do you move them to that space where they're performing better and delivering more results and requiring less of your leadership capital to be invested in them. And I think that's a great point that, you know, unlike a lot of these sort of two-by-two two matrices that we see that are about kind of diagnosing a problem and figuring out a situation, like your sit leads and, and all of those, and, and then even in, in non-leadership topics like, well, not, and then even in situations like strategy where you have the boxes and it's just about diagnose and then react, there is a sense of movement in this, in the book, in a sense that if you demonstrate the right behaviors with someone, you can lead them to where you ultimately want them to go, which I think is awesome. So yeah, like like you said, if you want to find out more about how to do that, check the book out, Lead Inside the Box. Um, Mike, Let's you know what's coming because you're a return guest. Let's shift a bit from the book to you. It's been a while since we've talked to you, so we want to re-ask you our questions. Uh, first, what are you reading right now? Yeah, so I'm actually reading The Meditations by Marcus Aurelius. So I'm, I'm going old school there. And uh, actually what led me to pick that up and really dive in is another great book that I read right before it called The Obstacle is the Way. And it's like 188 pages. I read it on a flight. It's kind of a small format book. And it was really great in terms of talking through resilience and stoicism and overcoming challenges. And the first half of it is about uh, some classic examples, some historical examples of people who did that. But then what I loved is the second half of the book is how do you apply these principles to your own life? And that book, The Obstacle is Away, is based on a lot of the perspectives put forth by Marcus Aurelius in the meditations. So I'm going to the source material and digging into that as well. Very cool. And this book is out, but, you know, by no means is it launched there. I, I know from experience and I know from watching your experience, there's a lot of work to do to sort of spread this message. But what's next for you or what are you thinking about on the horizon? Yeah, so for me, it's all about continuing to grow my business and my practice. So we do leadership development and training, mostly at large corporates. And uh, for us, it's getting our message to more organizations and more companies and getting to work with their people, uh, as well as adding content and adding instructors. So from time to time, we'll add a new course when we can tell there's uh, a need for it in the marketplace. Things like, you know, when I have three clients come to me in a one-week period and say, do you guys teach anything on decision-making? It's like, yeah, we should probably have a course on decision-making, right? So we, we sort of let the market drive our content development strategy. So those are um, the two things that I'm really focusing on is adding to the client portfolio and adding to our offerings that we're able to bring them. Well, awesome. And again, the, the new book, Lead Inside the Box, um, get a copy, get it from Amazon so that Lead Inside the Box will be inside the shipping box and you'll have gone meta, right? So Mike Figliolo... <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us inside the Leader Lab. That's great. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate the opportunity.